and you may be seated. And take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're continuing our emphasis in 2024 on worship. And we want to look at a fundamental, foundational passage on worship. It's the encounter of the Lord Jesus with the woman, at the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And we learn something very basic about worship. And as you make your way there, I want to let you know that you do, uh, I want to ask you a question. You do realize that there are many places and many situations where you do not get to behave in any way that you wish. For example, you might go to a store and they may have a dress code. You might go to a restaurant and they expect you to wear a coat and a tie. You could go to a less formal restaurant and they may have a simple sign that says no shoes, no shirt, no service, which boggles the mind in some ways that that's even a requirement that has to be stated. But nevertheless, you go to a library and when you go into a library, you know almost instinctively that it is a quiet place. You are to be quiet. You, you don't run around. You don't scream. Your behavior in a movie theater is shaped. Uh, your behavior at church is shaped. There are so many places and situations where you do not get to do whatever you want. That's true in a marriage. That's true in your job. And all of those pale in comparison when we begin to approach the topic of worship. The fact is, your life in so many ways is regulated. It is constrained. There are things you do and you don't do. And it's no different when it comes to worship. The worship of God, how God desires to be worshipped, what is accepted as appropriate worship, all of that is given to us in the scriptures so that we may know how to worship the Lord. I choose the word regulated intentionally because the scriptures are to regulate. They are to restrain and they are to teach and guide us in the proper ways of worship. And in John chapter 4, Jesus tells us two characteristics of true proper worship. And what we will see as we study these two characteristics of proper worship is that each characteristic drives us to the scriptures to let the scriptures regulate and teach us how to worship God. And this is not something that's new with Jesus per se. If you go to, say, I don't know, Deuteronomy 12, and you read what the Lord says to the Israelites there, he says they're going to have a chosen place of worship, and he tells them that they're going to have to tear down all the altars and smash the sacred pillars and burn the Asherah poles and cut down the carved images of the gods and wipe out their names from every place. But then there's this phrase in verse 4, Deuteronomy 12, 4, where Moses and the Lord says, don't worship the Lord your God in this way. So there are ways that are inappropriate worship. 
There are ways that many times some of us, and maybe in the broader culture, and even in the broader church, where we do things that we say are worship, but God has either not commanded us to do those things, or we have no good reason. But he tells, he doesn't just tell, notice, he doesn't just tell the Israelites, cut all those things down. He says, you see what they're doing? Don't worship the Lord in that way. And then you go to the end of chapter uh, 13. Uh, I'm sorry, at the end, that was 13. I got my numbers mixed up. <clears throat> um, that was, uh, no, I had it right. That was 12.4. And then at the end of chapter 12, he says, be careful to do everything I command you. He's talking about worship. Do not add anything to it or take anything away from it. So God has something to say about how he's worshipped. And what we want to see this morning is that Jesus tells us that not only is the Father looking for true worshipers, but he's looking for true worshipers. And what makes them true worshipers is that they worship the way God the Father desires to be worshipped. True worship is not about the sincerity so much as it is, is it done in accordance with what God has said in his word? And so this morning, what I want to show you from John chapter 4 is this. Because the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Because the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. His word must regulate our worship. It must be our guide and our light when it comes to worshiping the Lord properly. So if you're there in John chapter 4, we want to look at verses, primarily verses 21, or well really you could start verse 19 through 24, and really we'll go down to verse 26. But if you know anything about the story of the woman at the well, Jesus has gone to her, he's had this conversation with her, He's confronted her about her sin. She keeps deflecting, changing the topic, and eventually she changes the topic to the location of worship. And notice this happens right after Jesus says, you have said correctly, I don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so she changes gears and says, uh, let me ask you about the right location of worship. Look at verse 19. The woman replied, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and and in truth, yes, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So when we look at this, we see that the Father is seeking those who will worship him. And notice this is, this is the only place where we're told that the Father is seeking something or someone. The Father is seeking. He wants true worshipers 
And the obvious question is, well then, if we as Christians want to please the Father and we want to be, we want to be true worshipers, how do we know what to do? He says you worship in spirit and in truth. Now, let's look at those two characteristics. First of all, he says that you will worship in spirit. The first reason he says that is because God is spirit. Now, what does he mean by saying God is spirit? God is not something that can be seen. He's not someone who can be seen. He is a, a spirit. The, the Father is invisible. And that's why Jesus is called the exact representation. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. He becomes incarnate. But no one can say that they've seen the Father. That's why Jesus has to say at one point that if, uh, when he's asked, let us see the Father, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here's the thing. How do you know anything about something that you can't see? If God is spirit and we can't see him, we can't approach him, we're not spirit, what is our only hope then? If we want to please this Father who is spirit, our only hope is that is if he reveals himself to us. If God who is spirit, who cannot be seen and cannot be known unless he reveals himself to us, if he does not, we have no hope of seeing him, knowing him, knowing what pleases him. And so the question is, where has he revealed himself? And the answer is, in his word. This is how we know who God is. And so when we worship in spirit, it's not talking about that we... We have a lively energy when we come to worship. Aren't you glad that God does not base the acceptability of your worship on whether you have energy? All the parents of young children said, amen. Right? You can come and worship with your exhaustion. You can come and worship being physically drained and still have joy. I hope, we're not saying that you are to be emotionless. I hope that as you hear the truth, you respond to the truth, it brings you joy and comfort. But that's not what makes it acceptable in the sense of worshiping in spirit and truth. What makes it acceptable in spirit is that God is spirit. We can't know him unless he reveals himself. And he's given us his word, which is his revelation of himself. And so that's why all of our worship has to be regulated, has to be based on and centered on the scriptures. So it points us to the scriptures kind of from above. It points us down. If we look at God as spirit, it points us down to the scriptures. But then it says we also need to worship him in truth. Now notice Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what you do know. So immediately right there, Jesus kind of dispels any sense of uh, a blessed, ignorant worship. This idea that the, the intellect is not to be engaged in your worship. Or that simple, unknowing worship. That as long as it's sincere, you can think lots of wrong things about God. You can believe whatever you want about God. But if you're, if you're sincere enough, that's what really matters. But Jesus says, no. We worship what we know. Okay, so how do we know what we ought to know? How do we worship in truth? How do we know the truth? So if God is spirit, 
And that points us to the scriptures, but then we want to know the truth and to worship him in truth. How do we know that? It's the scriptures. So whether you come from above or from below, either way, we are pointed to the scriptures that they must regulate our worship. They must be the God. Our worship must be centered on the Bible. Notice what Jesus says in verse 23. Why this, is, why this is happening. He says, an hour is coming and is now here. Then she says in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Not only is it the word, the written word, that is the center of worship, but it's the incarnate word. It's the living word. The Lord Jesus is what inaugurates this, this shift in no longer are you worshiping on this mountain or in this specific location, but now what really matters is, is it worship in spirit and in truth? And that's a shift that is based on Jesus. So then the question then becomes, how do we know this Jesus? It's in the word. This is what points us to Jesus, teaches us about Jesus. So what are we to do with that? This idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth. Well, let's talk about worshiping in spirit. You notice when Jesus is talking about God as spirit, it points us to his word, but it also points us to the fact that worship has now been globalized. Worship is no longer tied to a temple or to a mountain. Now worship is tied to wherever his people gather, in his name, worship can take place. This was why one of the reasons when the Protestant Reformation happened, the reformers felt perfectly fine locking the doors to the church. They would leave and they would lock the doors. Why? Because the worship of God is not tied to these four walls. Contrast that with Catholic churches that remain open because you have to go there and you have to, to go into the building and meet with a priest. You have to be in that place, in that local uh, habitation in order to meet with God. But Jesus says, God is spirit and now he can be worshipped anywhere. But there's two, there's two ways we go to the extreme with this. The first way we go to the extreme is we, we I call it woods worship. You know, that's the old boy that you say, hey, brother, we haven't seen you in a while. We'd love to have you back. And he, you know, you go to sisters and you, you guy hasn't been to church in 20 years. You say, brother, we've missed you. Where have you been? Well, you know, I, I just get my, I worship alone in the deer stand. That's where I meet with God. Is that true? Maybe. Probably. But Jesus' emphasis here, not on that, it, when he says the spirit and worship is now globalized, he does not mean that it's only individualized. We know the rest of the Bible, right? That, that God gives us this time, this corporate worship hour, the writer of Hebrews says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. There's things that happen here in the corporate worship hour that don't happen in the woods. If you're in the woods by yourself, no one's preaching to you. You're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. 
There are things that happen here that God has given us to do in this hour, in this time, that don't happen in your private worship time. So the one extreme is to say, I can worship anywhere, so I don't need to be at church. But there again we ask, is that worshiping in spirit and in truth? If God has given corporate worship for your benefit, for your growth, for the upbuilding of the body, if he's given this time for you to be blessed, to meet with God, to hear from God, to, to come to his table when we take the Lord's Supper. That's part of the worshiping in truth. So that's the one extreme. The other extreme is that we make corporate worship so important that we neglect any sense of personal or family worship. When we talk about areas of worship and spirit and truth, I think there's three spheres or three areas where we need to apply this truth. Your personal worship, your family worship, and in corporate worship. So your personal worship needs to be regulated by the word of God. It needs to be based on the Bible and what God tells you to do and commands to do in his worship. What that means is that we need to be very careful about innovation. We need to be careful about things that are, are the new wave and the new fad in your personal quiet time. But it also means that we cannot take the word worship and apply it to any hobby, anything we might do during the week and say this is worship. Now, I realize there might be some pushback on that. I'm not saying that you can't worship while you're doing all those things. But what I am saying is that we have to be very careful that our worship time is based on the Bible and not just our preferences. That somehow we take what we prefer, call it worship, and it may be something that God has never told us to do. Here's a good example. Journaling. Some of you journal. You journal as a part of your quiet time. You journal it. But what are you doing while you're journaling? Sometimes you're praying. Sometimes you're meditating on scripture. Sometimes you are uh, thinking through the promises of God. All of those are acts of worship. But, but nowhere in the Bible are we told you must journal as an act of worship, right? And so we have to be careful that we don't take something that, that might be good, that might be fun, and just call it worship. It's not something that we've been commanded to do as a worship of God in your private time. And I guess more of the, cons more, the concern more here is that we abandon the true, tried, and tested ways of simply reading our Bible and praying. If you want to start in your quiet time and your personal time with worshiping the Lord, it has to be based on the Bible. So make the Bible the center. Read the Bible. Meditate on the Bible, pray the Bible, read it out loud. That's where you can start in your private worship. But then family worship is the same way. Family Gathering the family together and, and letting that regulate how you worship. So read the Bible, pray the Bible as a family, sing the Bible as a family, talk about the Bible as a family. It doesn't have to be long. We do it almost every night, and it's, I'd say, maybe 15 minutes. We read the Bible. We pray. Sometimes we recite memory verses. But it's focused on the Bible. But then in corporate worship, 
Everything we want to do in this hour ought to be something that God has told us to do, that he has given us to do. And so the way you can think of it, and it's a way that uh, I'll say over and over again, when we, when we meet in your, here in corporate worship, we want to pray the Bible, read the Bible, sing the Bible, preach the Bible, and see the Bible. We want to pray the Bible. We want our prayers to be filled with Bible truth, filled with the scriptures. We read the Bible. That's what we, we've done already this morning. We want to sing the Bible. We want to sing songs that have, uh, are full of biblical truth. And then we want to see the Bible when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and baptism. That is, that is a sermon in action. That is a, a word picture where we see the Bible and the promises of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ, and then we preach the Bible. So we sing the Bible, we see the Bible, we preach the Bible, we pray the Bible, we read the Bible. We are letting the Bible regulate our worship. And so we worship in spirit and in truth. When Jesus tells us that our worship needs to be regulated, I, I anticipate that there might be some, some hesitancy. Some hesitancy on the part of good intentions, we might say. For example, what we're really talking about is two approaches to the worship, both in life and in the church. The reason I use the word regulate is because I, I want to introduce a phrase to you that would be good for you to lock in your brain because you're going to hear it a lot, okay? It's the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship means that we do in worship only what God has explicitly commanded in his word, filtered through the Lord Jesus Christ, the new covenant, but only what he's commanded us to do. That's the regulative principle, the regulated, the constrained, versus what's often called the normative principle. The normative principle the normative principle says, as long as it's not expressly forbidden, we are allowed to do it. So are you with me on the difference? One says we should only do what is explicitly commanded. The other is we can do anything that's not expressly forbidden or explicitly forbidden. Now, I want to say that there are many brothers and sisters, there may be even some of you in this room who say, now that you mention it, I feel like I fall more on the, the normative. What's wrong if, if God doesn't say that I can't do it, then, then what's wrong with doing it? And I want to be honest and say, I get that. I absolutely get that. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ who feel that way. There are traditions that feel that way. A, a perfect example is the Anglican tradition. The Anglican tradition is very much a normative. As long as it's not expressly forbidden, it is allowed. 
My only concern is that the worship of God is a very serious matter. When we read in the Old Testament and when we read in places in the New Testament where worship is talked about, think about when the Ark of the Covenant was mishandled. What was the result? What was the result when Israel created a golden calf? When it comes to where, where do I fall on the normative or the normative versus the regulative principle, the first question we have to ask is how serious do we want to consider worship? And to me, if we consider worship a very serious matter, that God is gravely concerned and he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, and we want to have our worship be worship that's in spirit and in truth that pleases him, but also does not worship him in a way that is sinful or unpleasing, it seems the safer route would be to do only what he explicitly commands. So that's the first question. The second question I would have us ask is, why do we believe, or why would I believe, and why would I encourage you to believe in this regulative principle? Well, what have we been saying? Because the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, his word must be regulated by, or our worship must be regulated by his word. When the Reformation happened, what was one of the, the central points of the Reformation? Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. You see, when we take this and we say, what has God explicitly told us to do? That is taking sola scriptura and applying it to our theology of worship. To what we believe about what we ought to do with worship. Whereas, when we do the normative approach, we're very quickly probably going to find ourselves not asking sola scriptura. And so, as we think about our worship, begin asking yourselves, is the worship I'm offering in accordance with what God has asked me to do? Here's an even better question. Do I even know what the word of God tells me I ought to do in acceptable and pleasing worship? Or have I just kind of followed whatever fancy, whatever wind has blown in through my house or through my social media feed? Whatever I heard the latest person say, and I've just kind of incorporated it, but I've never actually stopped and asked, is that what God tells me to do in worship? Maybe that's where you need to start, begin thinking, what, what definition of worship have I been operating under? But here's the second reason, or not the second reason, this is the third reason why this is such a beautiful way to approach worship. It's simple. It really is simple. It's the simplest because God and his grace and his kindness and his goodness is pleased with our simple worship. When you talk about what are the components of, of worship, of biblical worship that, that are regulated and commanded, we've already said them. Pray. Sing, read, preach, celebrate the Lord's Supper and baptism. 
And so here's where it gets exciting. Like, you've been sticking with me through kind of the academic stuff, okay, and kind of the theological stuff, but here's where the rubber meets the road. Guess what? It's really this simple. If you will sit either at your desk, your kitchen table, or if you come here on a Sunday morning, if we will just sing the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible, see the Bible, that is worship that is pleasing and acceptable to God. Doesn't matter how eloquent you are. Doesn't matter what building it's in. Doesn't matter the quality of your voice. Doesn't matter if you have to have your readers on to read the scripture. Doesn't matter if you miss a note. If you, if you mess up at the start of a song. Doesn't matter if you come in and you've just had the worst week you could possibly imagine. Or you're dreading the weeks to come. Guess what? We come, we sing, we pray, we read. There's a sermon based on the word of God. That's worship. That's pleasing and acceptable to God. You sit down at your kitchen table. You open your Bible, you read it, and you pray. That's worship. That is acceptable and pleasing to God. Aren't you glad it's so simple? Aren't you glad that God is so gracious that he made his worship simple for simple people like us? For sinful people like us? So the third question that we were asking is how the rubber meets the road, how this makes worship so enjoyable, so simple, so beautiful. But here's where it gets even better. Jesus says those that please the Father and worship are those who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a problem. You know why? Because we are born in sin and rebellion. We worship not just in the wrong way, we worship the wrong gods. We make our own idols. We make God in our own image. And so we're dead in our sins. We're blind to the light of the glory of of the gospel and of of the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's no way we can feel our way towards an accurate picture of who God is that we might worship him properly. The only hope we have is, is, is if God will do a work in us. We sin and we're separated from God. We're dead in our sins. So we have no hope of actually worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And you say, why does that matter? Here's where I want you to to take out one word in our main idea today. And I think this will make all the difference, okay? Instead of using the word worship, read it this way. Because the Father seeks those who will enjoy him in spirit and truth. His word must regulate our enjoyment. What is worship? Worship is the joyful response to who God has revealed himself to be. 
And the only way we do that, the only way that's possible is because Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, for my sins and your sins, took the punishment that we deserved, that we deserve death for our idolatry and for our failure to worship God properly. And he rose again on the third day. This, this law, this requirement that we worship him in spirit and in truth is met in Jesus Christ. He alone perfectly, perfectly kept the law, perfectly obeyed, always worshiped in harmony of spirit and truth. And therefore now as Christians, when we believe in him and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, now when you come, you can enjoy the Father through Christ the Son. And he makes it so simple as hearing, seeing, preaching, praying, reading. Isn't that good? That God has so, in his economy of salvation, made it so that though we could not worship him in spirit and truth, we were dead in our sin. He has made us alive in Christ so that now we can worship him in spirit and truth. And he's made it so simple for us to enjoy him. We can enjoy the Father and bring him pleasure when we simply come and worship the way he's told us to. And he's made it so simple. See the goodness and the kindness of God that you can enjoy him through such simple means. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling to worship. You have felt that, that worship is to be this, this really complicated, convoluted, difficult hurdle that you get over week in and week out, or that you, you ramp yourself up for. But understand this, worship is not about making yourself anything. Worship is about responding to what Christ has done. It's about enjoying who the Father is through Christ the Son. In the ways that he's told us and given us to do it. I think about the man who called the 1-800 number. He rung up the customer service and he said, I'm having a problem with my boat. They asked a few diagnostic questions and they, they finally said, sir, I think we've determined the issue with your boat. He says, great, I'd love to know. I, I really would love to enjoy my boat. And the customer service representative says, you need to put it in the water. It's, it's really that simple. It, it's meant to be in the water. You see, a constraint and a regulation is what frees us. It's what allows us to set aside questions of what if and to focus on the who. So maybe... Maybe your understanding of worship has been sharpened. I hope it has. But maybe you realize maybe you don't even have a definition of worship and, and what, what biblical worship looks like. 
I hope that we answer those questions throughout the rest of the year, but, but maybe it would be helpful to do some, some reading and some research on what is biblical worship, what makes regulative worship so beautiful. Maybe Google those terms, regulative principle of worship, normative principle of worship. We have said that in an effort to accommodate uh, those of us who are less of a bookish bend, we want to make resources available for those of you. So uh, between this uh, Sunday and, and the next, uh, over the next couple of months, uh, be looking out. We're going to be sharing some resources, some videos, some articles that you can read to uh, kind of answer these questions of the simple, the, the basics of worship. So be looking out for those. But if we're not careful, we can get so focused that we miss the beauty the simplicity of who we worship. You see, it's not about checking a list. It's about God has given those things so that we might focus less on the what and more on the who. So maybe you leave here this morning saying, I need to reorient myself. Maybe you came to worship and, and you were thinking about a whole bunch of other things, but, but Jesus kind of faded into the background. Whatever it is, we come to a time of response Maybe you just need to ask the Lord for understanding to help you understand what you've heard. If you have questions, come talk to me. If you have something that you'd like prayer for, I'll be down here at the front. I'll be happy to pray with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, God, that we are appointed to it. It is our hope. It is our guide. It is our rule for life and living and for following Christ and and Lord, you desire to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And that, that throws us, God, in, in pleading onto your word, seeking seriously, sincerely, and lovingly to want to worship in a way that you tell us to worship. Lord, maybe even, maybe even just this morning, we, we haven't worshipped We've kind of gone through the motions. God, if that's true of anyone here, may we ask your forgiveness. God, maybe there's ways that we've worshiped that you have not told us how to worship. You have not commanded us to do those things. and Maybe we need to re-examine those. And Lord, maybe you have spoken to someone here about something completely unrelated, but they know that there's a step of obedience they need to take. God, may they be affirmed in that and may they be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Holy Spirit, however you see fit in this time to move, uh, Lord, we welcome you to move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.